ask. I invite you all to join me in prayer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Baptisms have always been life-giving for me. As parents bring forth their baby, or as confirmands on Confirmation Sunday kneel, or as an adult walks to the fount for the first time, I get chills. There is something so obviously holy in those moments, especially for the person being baptized, but also for everyone else in the room. Commitments are not exclusively being made by the person being baptized. Families and friends, the entire congregation actually commits to raising children or a person in the faith. Congregations commit to loving and including this individual in the life of the local church. Baptism is never about just one person. It's about a bigger community committed to live their lives to follow Jesus. And in every single instance, the Holy Spirit shows up. For me personally, and physically, that manifests by getting chills or tearing up. The magnitude of those special moments is palpable. It's meaningful. It's life-changing. For the past month, we have looked at the Gospel of Luke and focused on the first few chapters, which conveniently cover the first few years of Jesus's life. We have followed the lectionary, and we've heard the story of Mary meeting an angel and learning about the child she was being called to bear. We read about Elizabeth and Zechariah. On Christmas Eve, we heard the classic Christmas story of Jesus' birth with the shepherds and angels. We read of the wise men's visit just last week. And then a few weeks before that, we read about Jesus' visit to the temple. All of that happens in just the first few chapters of Luke. After that second chapter concludes, we find ourselves moving many years ahead. The third chapter of Luke begins with John the Baptist as a man, and he is teaching others about God and how to live their lives for God. John the Baptist often talked about how he was called to prepare the way for someone who was coming, someone who was more important than himself. And still the people didn't really understand. They questioned what John the Baptist was saying, and they actually thought amongst themselves, whatever, he's really the one, he's the one who's coming. Our passage today will be from that third chapter of Luke, verses 15 through 22. And we begin with John, who is interacting with those who have come to learn from him and to ultimately be baptized. The people were filled with expectation, and everyone wondered whether John might be the Messiah. 
John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sip the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the husks with a fire that cannot be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. But Herod the ruler had been criticized harshly by John because of Herodias, Herod's brother's wife, and because of all the evil he had done. He added this to the list of his evil deeds. Herod locked John up in prison. When everyone was being baptized, Jesus was also baptized. While he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove. And there was a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I dearly love, in you I find happiness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. The story of Jesus' baptism occurs in all of the synoptic gospels. That means Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Per usual, John kind of does his own thing. But even in John's gospel, it kind of refers to Jesus' baptism. In all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the story of Jesus' baptism varies a little bit but it especially varies in Luke. If I were to stand up and ask you all, who baptized Jesus? Most of you may say, I don't know. Or you may say, John the Baptist, which is the case according to Matthew and Mark. However, in Luke, as we read, John is in prison. We'll circle back to that in a moment. John is not there at Jesus' baptism. At least we're not led to believe that he is. And Luke doesn't really even give us specific details on who was there or what roles different people played. Luke instead lets the reader know that Jesus was baptized, period. That's the most important part of this story which isn't to shift all importance off of John the Baptist. John is definitely an important person throughout the gospel, and he is essential in preparing the way of Jesus. Instead, I use Luke's telling of this story as a reminder of Jesus being fully divine, along with being fully human. According to Luke, Jesus' baptism doesn't rest on any human being. The baptism is something of God. So much so that all three synoptic gospels read that the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. As I read those words, I can't help but looking ahead to the early church where the Holy Spirit also descends and unites those very first believers. Jesus' baptism signifies the beginning of his ministry, and it also signifies the grace of God 
and how each of us are made new in that love. It's why we, as United Methodists, hold baptism as one of the sacraments. It's why we hold it in such high regard. It's a sacred, living, holy act. When I worked in youth ministry, confirmation season was one of my favorite times of the year. For those of you who may not be familiar with the Methodist Church, confirmation is offered to youth age students. In our church, it is offered to seventh grade students and older. Quick plug, confirmation registration is open if anybody would like to register. <laughs> it begins in just a few weeks. And in this class, students learn more about general Christianity. They learn about the United Methodist Church, and then they get to decide if they themselves would like to be confirmed, which means they will be baptized if they haven't already been, and they will take vows to be full members of the United Methodist Church. I tell you that confirmation is one of my favorite times of year because I love getting to see students wrestle with trying to find the right words and symbols to truly express their faith, to express what they believe. I love hearing students' questions about God and their questions about what makes our denomination different from others, yet still a part of this larger church. I also loved teaching students and often parents about the two sacraments that we recognize in the United Methodist Church. We've been talking already about baptism and the other sacrament is communion. On the first Sunday of every month, we all here in modern worship hear me say that we practice an open table for communion. That means that all people are welcome. You don't have to be a member here. You do not have to be baptized. You don't even have to know all there is to know about being a Christian because believe me, I'm still learning myself. Instead, you only have to be open to God working in your life, to God moving in the world. We practice an open table because we believe in God's grace, that there is this unending, powerful love offered to each of us always because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And in the Methodist Church, we also recognize a second sacrament, one that we've actually got to celebrate a few times in 2021 here in Modern Worship, it's baptism. In the United Methodist Church, we have a book that pastors use that have uh, kind of how you should go about doing worship. You can see it over here, it's gold lined. We'll use it in just a moment. It informs how we do worship, why we do worship, and it gives a suggestion of orders to use in doing so. This book is aptly named the Book of Worship. It's very to the point. And if you were to look at this book and turn to the services of baptism, you would read this in the opening paragraph. Because baptism initiates us into Christ's whole church and not only into a denomination, United Methodists recognize all Christian baptisms and look upon baptism as something that should unite rather than divide. 
Christians. We do not believe that being baptized in the Methodist church is better than any other baptism. And we recognize baptism in every form. We also don't believe that you ever need to be baptized again for any reason. You see, we believe that baptism is an outward symbol of an inward grace, the acknowledgement and acceptance that Christ is moving through each of us and out in the world. It's a sacred act that cannot be messed up because it's contingent on God and not any of us. This morning, because it is baptism of the Lord's Sunday, it is a Sunday often used in churches to reaffirm our faith or to remember our own baptisms. Some of you may have been baptized as a child. I was baptized as an infant. I do not remember my baptism. I've tried to hone into those memories, but I'm not quite that talented. And so in reaffirming our faith, we remember those vows taken when we were baptized, whether it was in the church, whether it was outside of the church, outside of the Methodist church. I don't think you can be baptized outside of the church. That's another sermon for another day. Uh, however it happened, it's a time for us all to come together and really look at the vows taken. So the baptismal covenant in general begins with three historical questions. These are questions that are actually written by John Wesley. Yes, they're that old and we still use them today. And they are typically taken by the person being baptized or by the family supporting that person. Today, we will take them together, but not now. I'm just going to read them to you right now. You don't have to respond. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? That is some heavy stuff, friends, to be taking a covenant about. Let's look at that second one. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you? to resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And then finally, the third historical question, do you confess Jesus Christ as your savior, put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord, Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and race, races. John the Baptist, I told you we'd circle back to him. Did you think I'd forgotten? John the Baptist isn't present at Jesus' baptism in Luke because he's in prison. And John the Baptist is not in prison because he stole a loaf of bread, lay Miz style, or because he murdered anyone. No, John the Baptist is in prison because he called King Herod out on the way he was living. He called out the evilness and wickedness and oppression and injustice. He called out the lifestyles and values and morals and said, those aren't right. And they weren't just not right for people who practiced the faith, who practiced Judaism, because Herod wasn't Jewish. What Herod was doing wasn't right in general for anyone anywhere. Herod all around was making decisions that aren't reflective of simply being a good human being. And John the Baptist calls him on it. 
and then he's thrown into prison. I bring all this up because that first question we looked at, that first question we asked to those being baptized or those committing to raise the child who is being baptized is about renouncing wickedness in the world. That was John's whole thing, preparing the way of the Lord and renouncing the bad. It was Jesus's whole thing pushing back on the empire, pushing back on all the wrong in the world, and instead holding people accountable and encouraging people to do so in love, to share love with one another. The act of baptism is transformative completely in every sense of the word. It's not some magic switch that makes you holier than others, or it doesn't mean that Jesus loves you more than someone else. Instead, it's a commitment to accept Jesus's grace in your own life and to work toward bringing about the kingdom of God here on earth. And it's hard work. It sent John the Baptist to prison but it's worthy, holy work. I loved teaching confirmation to youth and parents because it taught them and reminded myself just what it means to be loved by God, to be a part of a community bigger than myself. Being baptized doesn't make you a member of a special club. You do get a certificate, but it doesn't get you into anywhere exclusive. It doesn't give you superpowers. It doesn't make life all of a sudden easy. But following Jesus does bring you into a community, a group of people who are also trying to live in a similar way, who are trying to love others really, really well and to provide space for God's love to work out in the world like I've been building up the whole time, in just a few moments, we are going to have the opportunity to remember our baptism. Unfortunately, because of COVID, I don't think it's super safe for us to all come forward and dip our hands into the same uh, fount <laughs> to remember our baptism. Chris in traditional this morning actually suggested maybe we should have a big vat of uh, hand sanitizer <laughs> to do it. That sounds disgusting also. So, uh, it may be another year on another baptism of the Lord's Sunday, we will all be able to put our hands in and to remember our own baptisms. But today, I want you to remember just by listening to the sound of the water. I encourage you during that time to take some time for yourself to remember why you are here. What made you get out of bed this morning? What moves you to keep following Jesus? I want you to remember what it is about Jesus that draws you in, what it is that moves you to renounce evil in the world and to resist evil, injustice, and oppression. I also want you to take that time remembering what it means to be a part of a community of people who are all just trying to do a little bit better at this whole following Jesus thing. 
I'm gonna ask you those three historical questions. When I do, you can answer. If you've never been baptized before, <laughs> that may be kind of weird for you to answer those uh, because we're remembering our baptism, but you are always welcome to. I'm not coming around with a pen and paper. However, I do hope that if you haven't been baptized or you don't know really where you belong in this whole faith thing, that maybe this is the moment where God tugs at your heart a little. And I hope that you move on that tug. I'm also going to ask you all a final question that I think we have. Yes. According to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? Jesus came to love and to save and we do it together in community. That's how we react. That's how we respond to God's calling in our life. I like to imagine that the words Jesus heard after he was baptized are the same words we hear from God to each of us today. You are my child whom I dearly love in you I find happiness. We are called to be bringers of the good news, to be made new through the love of Jesus Christ, to represent Jesus to the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. May it be so. Will you all join me as together we remember our baptism together? Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the spirit. All of this is God's gift offered to each of us without price. Through the reaffirmation of our faith, we renew the covenant declared at our baptism, acknowledge what God is doing for us, and affirm our commitment to Christ's holy church. Here are those questions. This time you get to respond. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? We do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? We do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? We do. According to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? We will. Eternal God, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and you brought forth life. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set a cloud in, as a rainbow in the sky. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. 
In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit and by this gift of water, call to our remembrance the grace declared to us in our baptism. For you have washed away our sins and you clothe us with righteousness throughout our lives that dying and rising with Christ, we may share in his final victory. All praise to you, eternal Father, through your son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Remember your baptism, friends, and be thankful. Let us lift our voices as we pray the prayer Christ taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.